Thank you for joining the Southeast PTTC podcast series. Every episode covers an important topic pertaining to the work of substance misuse prevention professionals. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon, and be sure to visit us online at pttcnetwork.org backslash southeast. Welcome to Understanding the Prevention Specialist Certification Process. On this episode of our podcast, we are joined by the Project Coordinator of the Southeast PTTC, Nicole Augustine. In this podcast, we are going into detail regarding the certification process for substance misuse professionals, among other important topics. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Thank you very much. I'm very, very excited about this particular webinar today. So, understanding the prevention specialist certification process is a topic that we're going to be talking about today. I have three main goals for this particular webinar. One, to kind of talk about the IC and RC and the benefits of certification. I will also talk about the uh, six prevention performance domains, and then we'll end with a conversation on what does the certification process look like in general, uh, and then we'll kind of highlight what we are seeing here in our uh, region. So moving along, the IC and RC, this is our International Certification and Reciprocity Consortium. This is the body that is responsible for setting the standards and developing the exam that uh, allows someone to become certified as a prevention specialist. Now, ICNRC has been around since about 1981, and you know, ICNRC has prevention partnerships with the CSAP Fellowship Program, CADCA, the NPNs, and ONDCP. And all of the information and content that ICNRC produces is research-based, and they make sure to kind of update it every five years to make sure it's with um, the current research. There are actually over uh, 73 boards because ICNRC doesn't just include prevention specialists. It also includes our treatment folks. Uh, So there are a total of 73 boards. This includes 11 boards that are international. 48 of our states and territories, and three of the Native American regions, and then all of our branches of the U.S. military. So we're really, really excited to have such a huge representation across ICNRC. And when we're looking specifically at prevention specialists, there are actually 56 boards. And I kind of put a note here of the top five for offering the prevention specialist credential and the top five states with the most prevention specialist credentials, Ohio, Texas, New York, Michigan, and Oregon. But what are the benefits? Why should someone consider becoming certified as a prevention specialist? Well, for me, one, it identifies professionals as specialists. If you think about any other field, whether you're a doctor, you know, a lawyer, those sorts of professions, certification, license, those sorts of things give um, credentials. Right? It gives also validity and credibility and competency. And so to me, these are some of the best benefits of being certified as you let everyone else know that, hey, I know what I'm talking about. Um, I know, you know the prevention research and the science, and that's an important part of giving validity to the field of prevention. Also, one of the really, really cool things about the ICNRC Prevention Specialist Certification is that it allows reciprocity. If you remember on the previous slide, I mentioned how many boards, there are at least 11 that are uh, international. So the great thing is that if you go through the work of getting certified in any particular state, there's reciprocity elsewhere. 
We are a very mobile society now, uh, so you can move anywhere and know that you can take your credential with you, which is really awesome. The other thing is that it's a marketing tool. So as an individual, this helps you be able to say, you know, it's great for your resume, it's something that says you can enhance your reputation as a professional, but then if you're an agency or a coalition or organization that hires folks with the Prevention Special Certification, that is something that you can promote also, that you have a highly competent staff to do the work of prevention. So I would say there are a lot of really great benefits to becoming certified, and um, it's a relatively young certification in terms of the field of prevention. And so I know for me, I'm always looking for us to have more people to become certified. And these are some of the benefits of that. The prevention performance domains are what the exam is based off of. Um, there are a total of six domains. They're listed here. I'm going to talk through each of them briefly and then provide you with information on how it's weighted on the test. Uh, probably in around 2013, ICNRC did a job analysis, and that's where these domains really kind of came out of. Before then, there were actually only five domains, um, and after about 2013, domain, domain number three under communication was added as a uh, core component of what it means to be a well-rounded prevention professional. So starting with domain one, this domain accounts for 30% of the test questions. It's actually the largest component of the test when someone's testing, and it focuses on planning and evaluation, primarily because this is one of the most common tasks that we're doing in prevention. Uh, your, your planning expertise has to do with understanding how to do a needs assessment, understanding how, how to identify problems and the gaps in the need, but also with that is being knowledgeable of what is the latest in terms of prevention science. How do you select strategies? How do you develop a plan? Um, also being a resource for sustainability. And then the other piece of planning is evaluation. And those two are connected in so many ways, because if you think about this, the work that you do in your planning sets your baseline. Your needs assessment data sets your baseline to which once you get into evaluation, that is then compared. Um, I would say, in general, folks have a very good idea what it means to plan and evaluate, but when you start talking about preparing for the exam, it's knowing a bit more detail. It's knowing things like the difference between qualitative and quantitative data, um, formative evaluation, those sorts of terms that we don't always regularly use in everyday conversation. But this particular domain accounts for 30% of the test questions and is um, a pretty heavily weighted area. Domain, domain number two accounts for 15% of the exam, and it focuses on prevention education and service delivery. Now, I would say if you think about the history of prevention and the work that we've done, the prevention education and service delivery is a lot of what we've done historically in prevention, but you'll notice it only accounts for 15% of the test questions. And I think some of that has to do with this kind of movement of our field away from just focusing on the education piece, understanding that that is important, but there are other pieces that really uh, help and create community change. So this is probably the the section of the test that I think most people are the most familiar with in terms of content, but it really focuses on understanding how to coordinate and implement activities, and then understanding concepts like fidelity, 
What does it mean to be um, to maintain fidelity when you're implementing a program? Um, and then the other part of the task list is just making sure that you understand that you are a resource uh, to your community in terms of understanding the, the prevention work and what's happening. Now, domain number three is communication. This is the one that I mentioned earlier is one of the newer domains to what it means to be a prevention specialist. It accounts for 13% of the test. And um, I would say, you know, when you think about all the work we do in prevention, communication is the foundation of everything we do. Whether you are talking to youth or talking to politicians in terms of advocacy, uh, talking to community members, parents, everything we do requires communication. Uh, so this particular uh, domain, you'll notice, you know, for folks who are trying to study for the test, the content and communication spans all of the domains, actually. But this really focuses on understanding promotion, understanding marketing techniques, effective listening and speaking skills, um, facilitation, whether that's facilitating meetings, um, interpersonal skills, all the things that go into being an effective communicator, which is really the basis of what it means to do the work that we do, because in prevention, we talk a lot, right? So uh, communication is this task, the, the domain number three that was brought to light here a few years ago. Domain number four uh, is community organization. It counts for about 15%. And this is where you really start thinking about what are we doing outside of our office? What are we doing to really organize our community? Um, this is where you get into coalition building, capacity building, community work, um, understanding stakeholders. How do you build ownership of prevention programming, right? If you think about the work we do, sustainability should always also be in our mind. Um, for those of you that are familiar with the strategic prevention framework, right in the middle is sustainability. Um, and understanding the aspects of community organization and how to build ownership of our prevention programs, this is what allows our community to take ownership and make sure the work of prevention continues well past any of us being at our particular jobs and positions. So that's the community organization domain. The um, domain number five is public policy and environmental change. Now this one accounts for 15% of the test but there's a lot of overlap between domain four and five, community organization and public policy environmental change. Those two are very much so interconnected. Oftentimes, the way in which you do public policy and environmental change is by working through your community organization. Uh, so the tasks and the knowledge that are expected here is a good understanding of public policy, a good understanding of what do we mean when we say environmental change. Um, also understanding how to use media strategies. This connects back to the communication piece. Uh, collaborating with community groups and understanding advocacy as a core component of environmental change. Uh, so I know I've been really, really happy to see there be more focus on these last two, moving us away from just being in the classroom, just being in that provincial education mode. And then the final domain, domain number six, is professional growth and responsibility. This domain accounts for 15% of the exam. And this particular domain really begins to look at you as the professional. What are you doing to make sure you're up to date on the latest research? So, for example, being on a webinar like this, 
being on in any sort of training events really helps you make sure that you're always up to date on the latest research with prevention, knowledgeable about the prevention research and theory that builds our curriculums, that builds our environmental strategies, um, understanding cultural responsiveness. And then the other really, really, there's two other big components of this particular domain. One having to do with ethical practices, uh, making sure we know what is the prevention code of ethics. Um, and then advocacy again, you know, advocacy we saw in the previous domain, it's echoed again here as a part of professional responsibility is advocating for our field and for the growth of our field. So these are the six domains that are, that have been pulled together that really say here is what makes a well-rounded prevention professional. Um, how the test is weighted is on the right here with the percentages in terms of the questions. And a little bit later, we'll talk a little bit more about the exam, but I just wanted to give you a sense of where the content for what it means to be a prevention specialist comes from, and this is where it comes from. So the next thing we're going to do is actually talk about the certification process. The prevention specialist certification is across the United States, so really your specific state um, even if you're not in the Southeast, this information still applies. So when we're talking about uh, credentialing, there are three main components to the process. There's your experience, which is the time you've spent in the field. There is education, which is split into your previous formal education requirements and then what's required to become certified. And then, of course, there's the exam. Now, for this particular webinar, I will actually be specifically focusing on the Southeast region. I'll kind of talk about what are the nuances in this region, but what I will say is no matter what state you're from, you can always visit the ICNRC website. It will give you a direct link to your credentialing board, and that board will show you some of the, the basics of what it means to, to what's required for your particular state. So what I'll do is I'm noticing that I don't think we have anyone from Mississippi or South Carolina, so I might just skip those those states in case unless um, someone else comes in. But I want to do just a quick broad stroke of what are the differences we see across the Southeast region. Um, but just to remember, as, as, as I'm showing this to you, what you'll notice is there are, there's some repetition here, and that's because ICNRC sets the base standard of what it means to be credentialed. And then above that, states put their own little kind of nuance and twist on what they expect for their professionals. So starting with Alabama, uh, if you're from Alabama on the call, I think we had a, a couple people from Alabama. Uh, you've got to come into the gate with at least 2,000 hours of experience, which translates to about two years. Uh, Alabama actually does not require um, a formal educational background, but they do require the basics of 120 hours of training and 120 hours of supervision. And what you'll notice is across the states as we go through, most all have that base of what's required, and that's because that really comes from ICNRC. Now, for those of you in Florida, Florida is really uh, popular and uh, showed up today on the webinar. Uh, Florida is very similar to Alabama, except Florida does require you to at least have a high school diploma or GED as your education you're coming in with uh, to be eligible to actually take the exam, okay? 
Uh, Georgia, we've got a few folks from Georgia here on the call. Now, Georgia's one of the, uh, there's a couple states in our region, there's a few states across the country who do this. Georgia offers um, steps, if you will, uh, which is a really, really great option. Uh, the one thing that I will point out is the highest tier, which is the one that has 4,000 hours, that is the only one that has the reciprocity with ICNRC, which means that's the only one that if you get that one in Georgia, you can come to North Carolina, you can go to another state, California, and uh, not have to retest. Georgia has two tiers, three tiers as the option, and you can see there their requirements that they outline depending on which one you're going to end up going for. Uh, Kentucky, we got a couple folks from Kentucky on the call. Uh-oh, I'm hearing some, uh, here we go, there we go. Uh, so we've got a few folks from Kentucky on the call. So for those of you in Kentucky, Kentucky has one level. Um, you know, it requires 2,000 hours. Like I said, you'll see the similarities because this is the standards that have been set by ICNRC. Now, Kentucky does require you to have a, um, a baccalaureate degree in order to, you know, move through the process. And you see they do 150 hours of training and 120 of supervision. Uh, we didn't, I'm not showing anyone from Mississippi, but I'll just make note, Mississippi is another one of the states that offers the tier option where the lowest option is what they considered an associate. Then they go to the certified CPS, and that top tier is someone who wants to be a manager, like a supervisor, that sort of thing, is what that particular state does, and it's outlined there. But I don't think we had anyone from Mississippi on today. North Carolina, we got a few folks from North Carolina on the call. Uh, North Carolina offers just one type of certification, prevention specialist, but their difference that they do is if you have a bachelor's degree, you can get through the process quicker. You only need 4,000 hours of experience. Um, but if you'll notice, North Carolina does have much higher training hours and supervision hours in comparison to the other states. Uh, then there's South Carolina. We don't have anyone on a call for South Carolina today. Um, I am still in the process of getting their information. South Carolina uh, doesn't readily uh, display that information online, but they do have two tiers. They have the regular CPS, and then they have a graduate which is uh, for supervisors and that sort of thing. Um, but I would guess, just based upon everything else, that they do the typical, you know, two or 4,000 in terms of experience, and, and they probably require a bachelor's degree for formal education. Looks like we got a few folks from Tennessee on the call. Uh, Tennessee is the last state in our region. Now, Tennessee does two types of prevention specialists where um, the difference is just on the hours and the degree. Um, and so if you'll notice, there's very similar what's happening in every single state, and that's the good thing about that is that is because that is coming from the expectations of ICNRC in terms of credentialing. So when you're thinking about the credentialing process, there's three basic things you need to be thinking about is what is the experience that your state is asking you to have in order to get the credential. Um, it's going to be probably at minimum 2,000 hours because that's set from ICNRC. And then your education. Uh, there are differences in terms of what states require for your educational background, but all require training, all require supervision time, and on average it takes around two years to complete that process. Now, 
the whole process is culminated by the exam, the prevention specialist exam. And I want to talk a little bit about what people can expect if they're planning to take the examination. The exam is computer-based. Uh, for anyone who, you know, became a prevention specialist some years ago, it used to be pen and paper uh, with the little bubbles and that sort of thing, but it's been updated now. It's computer-based. The great thing about the test being computer-based, it's offered multiple times a year, uh, multiple times a day. Uh, so that's the the best part about it. You can really take it anytime you're ready to take it. It is a three-hour test, and there are 150 questions on the test. Now, they do also have 25 random uh, test pilot questions that they kind of uh, put throughout the exam. And this is just so they can always make sure they're keeping the test up to date and current. Um, it reduces, you know, cheating and things like that. So there'll be a few questions that are kind of peppered throughout the test that actually aren't scored, but are just for their database of testing out new questions. The um, exam is scored out of a total of 800, but you just need 500 to pass the, the test. And you will be notified immediately. So once you take the test, they give you that score immediately, but your official score is actually mailed to you. Now, in terms of your credentials, there are some nuances between the states uh, in terms of how quickly you get your credentials. Some states, you know, the score goes to the board and you're done. There are a few states like South Carolina, they actually, after you pass the test, you have an oral interview that you have to do. Um, so there's a few different nuances of what happens right after, but once you take the exam, you know, all boards recognize the exam as passing, and then you'll just need to check with your state on what paperwork is required past that to be officially awarded the Prevention Specialist Certification. Okay, so that was a lot. <laughs> hopefully I didn't get to it, get through it too fast, but hopefully, and hopefully it wasn't too confusing for anyone. Um, I'd like to uh, take some time to kind of talk with folks about the prevention specialist uh, certification. We've got we've got some time actually, which is great. Um, Kristen, do you want to ask a few questions? And and um, I see questions coming here. Let's see. Well, we've got our first question up, which was one of my questions: Is, uh, sure. is there are there practice tests out there where you can actually do them online or on a computer? Yes, so there are practice tests. Now, if you visit the ICNRC website, they have um, a section for prevention specialists. There is a practice exam that's done by a group called Ready to Test. They offer that. But there is also a um, there is also a study guide that has some practice questions also. So there are a few places where you can get practice questions, um, and you mostly find them by actually going to the ICNRC webpage, and then they have a section for exam preparation there where you can get that. So speaking of ICNRC, do they require continuing education to maintain your certification? Yes, they do. That is correct. So once you get the Prevention Special Certification, um, it doesn't last forever, just like any other certification. Um, there are requirements for how you renew, the renewal process. And each state does it a little bit different. 
the, the great thing is that once you become certified, you know, your state will provide you with all the information needed to make sure you know how many hours, you know, how long it lasts and, and those sorts of things. But in general, I would say when it comes to prevention, our, um, we tend in a field in general for certification, we tend to be a little bit more lenient than, you know, some of the other fields where you have to get your hours from certain people or certain designated providers. Um, there's a little bit more leniency there. Great. So Elizabeth asked, do we have to send in all of our CEUs to qualify for the test? Yes. So the requirement on the education part, uh, mo I think almost every state minimally requires 120 training hours. So yes, you, you do need to be saving them. Um, anytime you get a certificate from any sort of training, I used to scan them to make it easier for me when I first did it. I would scan every time I got a certificate and I kept a folder on my desktop of my certificates. Um, that way you keep track and make sure you've gotten to the 120 because you will need to, to submit those to say that you've met that 120 minimum requirement. And as you saw, some of the states is a bit higher than that. But you will need those in order to, they won't even let you take the test before that typically. So that's a that's a good reminder then that when you when this webinar is complete, please make sure you fill out the evaluation because you will get a certificate sent to you saying that you attended this training today. So those are really beneficial to keep and scan in, as Nicole said. So another question, what are the benefits of having this certification if you're already a licensed mental health professional? Yes, okay, so this this is, I mean, this is an excellent question for just discussion in general, right? Um, I would say, so if you're a licensed mental health professional, typically to me that means you haven't been trained in prevention and prevention science. Um, and we do know that prevention and treatment are very different. I, you know, been trained in prevention, I am in no way you know, license or understand the concepts of being on the treatment side. So that would be considered outside of my um, purview, right? Outside of my professional domain. Um, I would say the same is in reverse. Um, oftentimes, I think when folks who are on the treatment side or the mental health side do come and start doing some prevention work, I've always heard they learn a lot. You know, it's like, oh, wow, this is a completely different way of thinking about how to talk and to engage folks. So I think, you know, anyone should, you know, anyone who is in the business of reducing substance misuse issues, I think gaining a prevention specialist certification is important. Um, and I do think it's a great way to gain knowledge on how it's different because it's, it is very different from treatment in terms of how you talk to folks and, and the way you talk to folks is very different from treatment. Nicole, Shelley would like to know what type of experiences count in the 2,000 hours? Oh, yes. So great questions, by the way. <laughs> uh, so experience, it most, most what I, when I was doing research on this, the majority of the states do allow your experience to be a mix between volunteer and paid. Uh, there, each state has a few nuances around what's uh, the restriction on volunteer. The entire 2000, um, I don't believe, can be volunteer. Uh, so there are limitations on how much it can be volunteer. But 
basically you any um, work experience that's related to the worker prevention. So for those of you who are currently in a job, that counts easy. But people who are like, you know, if you say, for instance, let's say you're a treatment provider, you would need to, to seek out a prevention agency to either shadow, do an internship, something, so that you can get the experience hours to say that you understand that prevention is different from your current job, especially if you're not working as a prevention provider right now. Okay, so another question. Do you have any resource suggestions for free trainings to gather those CEUs other than what's offered by PTTCs? Um, no, we, well, other than PTTCs, okay, because I was going to say, you know, <laughs> the PTTC network, right, um, which there are, you know, uh, 10 regional PTTCs, so, you know, we obviously show all of the, uh, everything we do is free. Now, there are other uh, training prevention opportunities that provide webinars, trainings, that sort of thing. Um, I'm, of course, I'm drawing a blank at the very moment in terms of specifically free, that would be the difference. There are some of the states amongst the Southeast, and so I guess it really depends on what state you're from. Some of the states have prioritized providing training and TA to the professionals in their state, which means typically if your state is providing it, it is a free webinar, a free in-person training. Um, and then there are some national, you know, I believe some of the CATCA stuff, their online programs can be free. SAMHSA has a few, too, resources and that sort of thing. Um, but I would say right now probably the, the biggest, you know, training group, if you will, would be the PTTC. And that's really why this network was created, is to offer a free space for folks who are interested in prevention to get training. Right. There's someone typed in a good plug for the healthenowledge.org great website for webinars and trainings. It's the word health, the letter E, and then knowledge.org. That's right. That is right. And that's, that's actually a really great resource. So one of the things, if you go to Healthy Knowledge, you'll notice the majority of the uh, trainings that are there are primarily on the treatment focus. Um, and so one of the things that is being worked on is building up more of the prevention um, that's there, too. So um, I will say this in, term, in terms of trainings in general. Um, I mentioned the six domains. Usually um, every state is going to require you to have trainings that across all of those domains. Uh, so when you are looking for, you know, trainings that are going to fit, just make sure they match with prevention um, in general or that they're substance specific because that always helps too. So, Nicole, how have you benefited from becoming certified? Well, um, I mean, I professionally, I've, I definitely believe it's helped me professionally. Um, I think it's probably one of the reasons that I'm in the position that I'm in today. The What I had to study and learn to pass the test, most folks don't realize the pass rate, um, which I think they just evaluated just a couple years ago, is 66% for the prevention specialist exam. And it's actually the lowest pass rate of all the ones that they do. The treatment rates are like in the 80s. Uh, so when you pass the prevention specialist exam, you should be proud of yourself, you know? Um, you can always take it more than once, but when you do pass, you should definitely be proud of yourself. It shows that 
there's an understanding and a competency. I believe the pass rate comes from the fact that prevention has been a field where people kind of fell into it, you know. It hasn't always been a field that was based upon a particular educational credential, and the exam is based upon public health, essentially. Um, so what ends up happening is folks who have been doing prevention for a really, really long time get to the exam and struggle because they don't know the academic terminology, you know. Uh, so for me, I think it's been really, really great in preparing me for being a well-rounded professional. So. So what advice would you give to professionals studying for the prevention specialist exam? <laughs> advice, read, read, read. <laughs> um, the ICNRC website does a really great job of providing kind of like a resource list. Uh, there are a couple study guides that are out there. Um, right now, the main, the main two that I've been familiar with is the Rhode Island one is the one that's most commonly advertised on the ICNRC website. But I will tell you all this, I have to give a shout out to Tennessee because Tennessee has done a great job of creating an online um, study hub, if you will, on the content related to the domains. Uh, so you should check out Tennessee. It, from my knowledge, it looks like it's free and available to anyone to take, um, and it does a great job of covering. But if if I was studying, I would think about um, the spiff circle or flower, however we want to call it, right? And if you could consider yourself very knowledgeable on every single one of those pieces and all the different parts that are part of it, um, I would be reading all the CADCA primers because the CADCA primers go into detail about each one of those steps, right? Um, it gives you a really good basic foundation. I would also be very, very knowledgeable about prevention ethics. Um, one of the, the private chats that came into me here was asking about the training requirements of ethics. Ethics is a, a training requirement. Uh, someone also mentioned SAPS. I don't know if people are familiar with SAPS, but that's the uh, Substance Abuse Prevention Skills Training. Um, it is typically a four-day in-person training that a lot of the states will do. But if you want to know kind of like the background and history of prevention, go to that Healthy Knowledge website that we mentioned earlier. There is the Intro to Prevention SAPS online course is there, and you can access that for free uh, through the PTTC. So it's a really great kind of like way of understanding what's the history of prevention, which is core information to know. Um, and then, of course, you want to know the prevention ethics because that is what's on the test also. All right. So someone asked, what, what, can you provide the link to us? And I think that's for the IC and RC. And that yes. would be, it's uh, www.internationalcredentialing.org. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All one yeah. word. National credentialing. I can't type an answer in. Ah. <laughs> I'll I'll drop it into the chat box. Here we go. I'm dropping into the chat box right now. That link. So everybody should have gotten that. That takes you right to the ICNRC website. Like I said, you can find your specific board for those of you who are not in the southeast. You can find your specific board there. And then if you go to the um, exam section and go to a prevention specialist, there's an exam preparation page. Um, and that's there too. So Someone asked about the Tennessee site that you had mentioned to help them study. 
Ah, okay. I'll make sure that's in the 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 resource list also. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then someone asked a question: If we are a certified SAPS trainer, does that count for training hours? Yes, it does. Delivering trainings counts. So it, when it comes to trainings, the really cool thing about trainings, right? You can either be a recipient of a training and get hours, or you can be a facilitator and those hours count also. So if you are facilitating ethics, because ethics a lot of times is a whole day, you know, SAPS is multiple days, those are all hours that go towards your certification. I think it's been a great discussion. I'd like to thank you so much, my coworker, for sharing your um, incredible knowledge of this field and in the certification process. Um, again, yeah. I would like to encourage anyone, if there is a topic that, if you'd like us to dive deeper into this, or if there's another topic that you're interested in hearing about, please do put it in the Q&A box or throw it in the chat box, whichever one, um, or you can email one of us um, through the Southeast PTTC and let us know what you'd like to hear about. We're here for you, so let us know what we can do to help you. And thank you all for your time today, and again, thank you, Nicole. Yes, thank you everyone. And like I said, everyone will receive these slides uh, and the recording. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We're always happy to help.